Ah, uh, um, so how much is that? And welcome to the Podcast Editors Mastermind, the only show on the business of podcasting. Podcast <laughs> editors know what we do. The, oh, I'm thinking of uh, yeah. lips in the feet. Because <laughs> I was like, wait, I kind of sound like Elsie. Um, the only show about the business of podcast editing. I am your host tonight, Carrie Caulfield, Eric. And with me is Daniel Abendroth of Roth Media. And I'm Brian Ensminger of Top Tier Audio. I just want to say that this reflects the week I'm having. So my apologies in advance. Are we even able to say this is the only show about the business side anymore? I don't know of any others. I don't either. I mean, I'd love for there to be more, not because I want other people to do this, but because more voices is great, right? Right. But right now it's like a thing. Yeah. And I wouldn't know what else <laughs> yeah. to say. The only first one before all the other ones that we knew about. <laughs> Yeah, the first business show for podcast editors. All right, I'll have to rethink that, or we'll have to rethink that. Let's be honest, you're the brains. It's just... (laughs) (laughs) Only with the words, and then, you know, y'all do the math. Brian does the math. I just show up and try not to mess it up. You do the tech. There we go. (laughs) I press a button. (laughs) What are we talking about today? So we are talking about prices... And packaging, which is a big loaded question. And the second question people ask after they've asked, how do I find clients? Right. So basically, how do I find clients and how much should I charge, right? Essentially, yeah. We've only done like one half of that conversation, which is how do I find clients? So, And if you're interested in that conversation, check out episode three of the podcast. I agree. (laughs) I'm lost. I don't know where we're going here. Uh, for those that are joining us live. I was waiting for the rest of what Daniel was saying. I don't know. Uh. So episode three is a story of how the three of us plus Jennifer all got started and got out, found our first clients. If you're interested in how we got started, I would not recommend at least my method of going on Fiverr and charging $5 an episode, but there is still a lot of good information in that episode. So be sure to check it out. All right. So. What should we tackle first? Prices or packages or maybe in combination? How do you know what the heck to do with prices and packages? Like, how did y'all set up your first? I I think before we talk about like prices and packaging, maybe we need to think about pricing models or like billing models, right? Because not everything has to be billed the same way, right? I generally think there's two or three different ways to approach this kind of thing. One would be, sort of per piece, almost like an a la carte method, whether people are buying an episode of editing or if you charge per minute of raw audio and then you have add-ons like that in my mind is kind of an a la carte model. And you can do either paid in advance or invoiced in in arrears uh, with some kind of payment terms. I prefer to do monthly packages rather than per episode. And this is kind of a recent transition for me because I always wanted to offer as much flexibility for my clients as I could. But what I've discovered as my workload has gotten heavier is that those per episode clients are what we would call in the world of demand lumpy in that they'll drop two or three episodes at once and then there won't be anything for three or four months. And so resource planning on my side becomes very, very difficult. And they all seem to hit like on a Friday. And so there's that. I'm strongly considering other than my white label or my subcontracting clients where I do editing for their companies, clients, 
and there's a, there's regular revenue there. I'm actually thinking about going to only doing X number of episodes per month with a minimum agreement of a certain amount of time. And it's not because I'm trying to be a, a jerk. It's because I have to figure out how to plan because this has to fit into my life. I can't, I'm at the point now where my life doesn't fit around this as well as it used to. I can absolutely agree with that. And that's something that I started doing was charging monthly upfront, right? Because I don't want to have to worry about it after I've done all the work, right? Because at the beginning of the month, it's kind of everything's kind of fresh. But then at the end of the month, you're all like frazzled and chasing. And maybe it's just me that's frazzled. But the last thing I want to do after I finish an episode is chase down payment. In my mind, there's also an element of financial exposure, right? So if somebody's two weeks late and they're billed at the beginning of the month, because for whatever reason, it didn't go through on time, I'm only out one to two episodes of editing, depending on how frequently they produce episodes. If they are billed at the end of the month and they're two weeks late, I've got six episodes invested right? the, the month before plus then those other two weeks, assuming it's a weekly show. And so from a financial exposure point of view, that creates concern for me because as I bring on more contractors, those contractors deserve to get paid whether or not my client tries to screw me over or not. And so I'm thinking of it also from, not just from a cash flow standpoint, but also just how much exposure am I willing to have where I might end up covering the cost of something if my client doesn't pay? Yeah, this is a... And a thing that I have been dealing with lately is the fact that so one client, which is a big organization, they had their accounts payable person quit last year. And I sent in a couple of invoices, didn't get paid, to, you know, and of course I did my due diligence and finally got the response that, oh, we're not paying anybody again until January 21st. And yeah, that was not a good place to be because it was a considerable amount of money and through no fault of my own, right? And it's not, and it's no fault of my client because he's not the one dispersing the the money. So that is not a position you want to be in. And, you know, when I ask, like, what do you do with companies who typically don't work that way? And she said, you wait until you do the, you know, to do the work until they've paid you, like everything. And I was like, mind blown. So yeah, that exposure is something is not, it's not something you consider or I considered when I first started. It wasn't for me either until one of my larger clients, a larger company went through the whole COVID thing and their entire accounting department was no longer sitting next to each other. And so payment processing that used to be net 30 was taking them like 90 days. Now, at the time, I was the only editor. So it's just me eating my side jobs income for a bit, but there's no financial risk of outlay. It's just lost time, which is still valuable, but not as much as losing my time and having to pay Michael or, or Jason or any of the other people that I've got working with me, right? I just had that. Sorry, I think I interrupted you, Daniel. Oh, no, I was just going to give my kind of side of things. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Because I do the opposite. I bill at the end of the month for the previous month's work. And I did have like one or two clients that I, I wanted to make that transition to charging first, but that wasn't a conversation I was brave enough to have with my current clients being like, hey, here's the invoice for last month. Also at the same time, here's the invoice for next month. It all straightened out the end, but I want to get ahead like this. So like that didn't feel good, but also 
I do offer rush delivery charges or like the option to rush delivery. And I don't know what that's going to be until after it's occurred. So it was easier for me to just kind of do that all at the end of the month, just bill retroactively. And for me, it's worked out pretty well. I have the occasional clients that like push it up too, because I do a 14 day due date. So some that like pushed up there, which isn't great, but whatever. Then some that push it a little bit further. But for the most part, like I haven't had, I have been, I have been extremely lucky with the clients that I've gotten who are very prompt with their payments. And then I also use auto billing. So that way a lot of them have auto pay set up. So first of the month, I have a ton of invoices already paid. And for the longest time, I never had anybody late paying at all. But then I, in, I think January 2020, or I don't know if it was 2020 or 2019, it's like, or no, December, like nobody, paid, like everybody was late. Right. So I don't know what happened there. And then, so I started, I added in a late fee. If you paid late, you get charged a certain percentage for each week that you're late. That did help. But it's, you know, it's funny because it's the larger companies now who sometimes delay payment for whatever reason. And I'm finding for, especially for startups, it's if they're fundraising, they're going to hold on to their money as long as humanly possible. And I think that's where like my experience differs is I only work with, well, only one of my clients is like a big company. Everybody else is solo or like a very small team. So like, I don't have to deal with accounting firms or like accounting departments or anything. They kind of handle the business themselves. I was going to say, that's what I typically do as well in terms of the clients that I work with. I like to, I like to be working with the decision maker. And I do have one show that doesn't really fit that bill. It's a, it's a larger company, but I really love that show because of the content, the hosts and what the topic is, right? So it's not one that I'm willing to go away from, even though that's the one that had the payment challenges when everything hit the fan back in 2020. And it's not like they were trying to screw me over. Like it was just literally like this used to happen here, but now it has to be mailed from this state to this state. And then it's couriered over here. I mean, it's like a Rube Goldberg machine by the time they get done because large companies typically use software to manage multiple approvals to make sure that nobody's embezzling. Totally get that because I've heard about that whole you know, internet scam thing, right? So I get it, but it is a huge frustration. No, I mean, it's a trade-off. It, it is, there are advantages to working with the decision makers, the the independent, you know, small business in that sense, and then working with companies. Andrea Clunder says, I have some clients who are monthly prepay and some larger orgs who are seasonal and have a contract that's X percent upfront to start to start work and X partway through the season and then X at the end. So I like to call that kind of project pricing. I like it an awful lot more. Like I will do that even for independent podcasts, small podcasts, because then it's less time. Because honestly, the worst thing I am at doing is billing. <laughs> and my ideal is half on front and then half when the season's completed. It's my ideal. But because every time, again, we should have had Molly on because she's very smart at this. Um, and we should. We should invite her on in, in the future. Shout out to Molly. Um, that she said every time you have to create an invoice or chase down payment, you're losing money, 
right? Because as and and I think for a lot of us editors, we don't always factor that into our rate. Yeah, an inconvenience rate. That's how I got to the system I'm in now is because of that. And do we want to talk about kind of like what we're currently doing, how we got here, or where we want to go next? I'd like to hit a couple more of the comments if that's okay. Talking about pricing, Kareem says for now he just has fixed prices that he's agreed on with the clients and they pay once they can. I'm not sure if that answers the question. Andrew just added the comment that sometimes a lot of nonprofits are used to the kind of project-based payment structure that she referenced. So X percent up front, X percent at certain milestones, and then X percent upon completion, which for a project absolutely makes sense. And for a season, right? So if you think about three months of production for three months of runtime or whatever that would be, where you're really, you're producing an entire season and it's probably not even going to be released until it's all done. Totally makes sense, right? As opposed to what I do, which is typically week after week after week after week. Yeah. And if you're working for a larger show, you're also dealing with production budgets. So they have allotted a certain amount of money to pay an editor. And so they have access to be able to pay you that in parts, essentially. And it's much easier for them to pay you for, you know, ha- you know either milestone or project-based than it is to, like, worry about your, your invoice or whatever. So, Daniel, to your question, I would love to talk about either how we got here or what we're doing now, whatever you guys have got up your sleeves. Okay, well, so I got here on Upwork, so they managed the payment side of things, and then I moved to PayPal, and I was billing per episode because I didn't know any better. And then I moved to monthly when I realized that was a thing, like that could be a thing. And really now I'm doing pricing out the project overall and whether, you know, it's not necessarily billed as a project, but it's taking the whole project into account, like how long a season is, how many episodes, how long they're going to be, how difficult they are to edit, you know, what style of editing. And then I come up with a per per episode rate and I will bill either monthly upfront or a deposit down and then full payment at the end of the season. So that's, that's my crash course, but I did it really sloppily first and always forgot to bill people. So, um, I don't recommend that method. Yeah. So I started the kind of same way, uh, started out on Fiverr. So they handled all that, which is really convenient. And then switch to PayPal and then switch to a couple different like invoicing services. My original pricing method, once I got off, I guess even on Fiverr, I would have like one rate for like 15 minutes and then one for 30, 45, 60, and so on, depending how long the episode was. It was based on like, so there's like a base rate of camera, how much it was. And then it was like so much more money per 15 minutes more. Because that seemed like the most fair. So that way the client was only paying for what services I offered. But then the amount of time I spend at the end of the month trying to figure all that out. So like each client have to go through each episode. So episode one was this amount of money. Episode two was this much. Episode three was this much because various lengths. And then I switched to, I want to say I switched to monthly as well. So now I offer like the editing, all the post-production with the uploading, scheduling, all that. So they send me the audio and kind of get it off their plate. And then I just have one monthly rate that covers up to 60 minutes of raw audio and up to one episode per week. And so there's going to be a few months out of the year that's going to have five episodes. I just tell them that's free, but I've just kind of accounted for that price 
that extra into the pricing. And so that way I know exactly how much I'm getting each month. They know exactly how much they're paying each month. And then I have like a separate package at a lower rate for like super easy clients. So clients that only have like a 10 or 15 minute episode each week, I charge them less. Or if they only do every other week episodes, they don't pay as much. And then I also have kind of a a la carte type thing. So like if you want show notes for each episode, I have add on for that transcripts, marketing material and all that. So, and I don't adjust it. So if they miss an episode, they are, they just miss out on that. Like I don't adjust their rate if they miss an episode, just like I don't adjust their rate if there's a fifth episode in the week or a fifth episode in the month. But then they pay like more if they do like a second episode in a week. So that's added on. That's it. So Kareem asked, so what, without invoices, how does the client know exactly how much is due to you? How do they manage that? Well, Kareem, there are invoices. There just aren't invoices every week. Um, I mean, if you're referring to that, depending on who I'm working with, if it's a more indie podcaster, they will get a proposal. It'll be all outlined in the pricing portion. And actually, I use something called Quitters.io which allows you to set up a proposal and it has a really nice like pricing structure grid that's really customizable. So I can just put everything in there. So it's really clear. And then um, I generate um, right now on PayPal, I will create a recurring invoice with that pricing structure in there and, you know, based on what they've decided to go to or go with for my services. And so then that PayPal just kicks that out every week. So then I really don't have to touch it ever again. Like it just is completely automatic. And unless they haven't collect, you know, paid, you can set PayPal up for a subscription, but it can be a pain in the rear to manage. So I've been just doing monthly recurring series of invoices. And so sometimes you'll have to hit remind. <laughs> <laughs> um but typically with the um if you have penalties for late payment, typically they will pay pretty quickly. And then when you work with good clients, you know, good smaller clients, you know, unless something really terrible happens, they will pay. I don't use PayPal, but I'm the same way. So because I know exactly what services the client is paying for, I can just set up a recurring invoice. So the first of every month, it automatically sends them the invoice and they can set up automatic pay. So their credit cards automatically charge for a lot of my clients. Yeah. And Kareem, I'm not a huge fan of PayPal. I'm just slow to change to new things, I guess. (laughs) I just haven't gotten there yet. Kareem, I've been too busy. (laughs) Wait, I do have a question though, because I think going back to what Daniel said about like figuring out or like charging clients who do like 15 minute episodes less. So that brings me to a question that you know, it's something I really don't do is think about how much I charge per minute of audio because I've heard of people who've done that. And I feel like after hearing what Daniel said, it like clicked for me. Like maybe that's an easy way to calculate a rate, right? Is to think about how much you're going to charge somebody per minute of audio. Does that make sense? I mean, you're I feel a little like, worried. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, <laughs> but that's uh, so if I'm understanding you right, now you have to keep track of the exact minute for how long each episode is and then calculate out how much to charge. And, and not, you don't, and I guess you could say like, because a lot of us say like, oh, up to 45 minutes of audio, we charge this rate. Up to 60 minutes, we charge this rate. But okay, 
because some of us just originally made up our numbers out of thin air. And some of us are not good with math and have not, you know, we think about hourly rates, yes, but there are some of us who are extremely smart who probably have calculated down to the minute. So if it takes me, you know, four minutes to edit one minute of audio, how much should I charge for that minute? And then you can know more instantly, like when somebody says, well, my podcasts are 60 minutes, not 45. What are you going to charge me? Because that's where I get, like, get stuck a lot is like, well, it's, you know, what, 15 minutes more? And then you can really lowball yourself that way, I think. You, you certainly can. That's definitely one way to think of it, especially if you think, okay, the work that I do is worth X number of dollars per hour of, wor- of what I work. So let's say that you're worth 25 bucks an hour. I'm just making up a number. And you say, okay, I know that it takes me four hours to edit a one-hour episode. Okay, well then, if I want to make $25 an hour for getting admin costs, and you need to think about those, but let's just focus on the editing. I need to charge $100 per episode in order to make what I think my hourly rate should be for one hour of audio. Now, that's not necessarily 100% true, And if you decide that you're worth $500 an hour and it takes you six hours to edit an hour of audio, does the market really support $3,000 per episode? I don't know. Not the market I serve. I'll just put it that way. Like there there might be a market that serves, supports that. But that's one way to think about it. Another thing to do if your business becomes more complex in terms of like offering more services, because I know Daniel's talked about this, it's something that I do as well, is sit down and figure out for the things that you have other people doing, what would it cost you to have those things done? And what would it cost for you to have other people do the parts that you're doing? And then consider all of that when you start to think about your pricing, because it can be really easy to go, well, I'm just making these numbers up. I charge $100 an episode. They want to add video. I know that's a little bit tougher. So I'll charge another $100 for the video plus the audio. So it's $200 an episode. Well, the reality might be that the video is that much harder, or if you want to start building out a team, you've underbid yourself on that cost. So you need to think about those things first. And I hate to say it this way, but if that becomes a non-starter for the person that you're working with, then maybe you're not the right person to edit for them, or maybe that's not something that they need to do. And I generally fall in the trap of trying to find a way to make it work. You know, I, I will sit down with a client and say, hey, these are the packages that I offer. And I'll typically give them monthly rates based on X number of dollars per episode or something like that. And then like work that through with them. But, and it's not like I want to try to have them nickel and dime me down on something, but if they have, if they are committed to episodes less than 30 minutes every single time, I'll work with them to get a rate that'll do that. And I'll take into account that let's just say two speakers, 30 minutes long or less, there's still going to be audio repair that happens. There's still going to be the regular mixing and mastering. There's still the editing. I have to plan for taxes. Like there's other stuff that goes into that. And I'm in a position right now because I work a day job where my insurance is covered through my work and through the, through what I do through work, right? They don't cover all of it, but that's, that's taken care of. So that's not something that I have to think about, but you need to think about those things that need to be part of it. The other thing is you need to think about what software, like you've got a certain amount of what I would call direct cost, right? So if you've hired somebody to do some work, that cost is directly related to them doing work for you. If they don't do work, they don't get paid. Makes perfect sense. If you don't have that, you don't 
then you don't. But you still have to have a computer. You have to have software. You have to have all those things. You need to think about how often does my computer need to be replaced? You need to think about those in terms of your cost structure so that you make sure that even though everything looks great on paper, will I be good in two years when I need to drop another $1,500 or $2,000 on a computer? So I'll just stop there because I didn't mean to go so far in that. (laughs) I think those are really good factors to consider. And I used to have a list, although it was probably on a computer that died, um, of like things to keep in mind when you're setting your rate, like costs that you need to cover as a business to be able to run your business, your operating costs. But maybe we could make something like that. I was actually working on something this afternoon. It's a little bit tough to put together, but I was thinking about this because I really like the profit first methodology. And so for a a business like mine, I'm well under the, the, I'm well into that first band of less than $250,000 a year in income. Like that's a pretty high bar for me. So I know what those percentages are, but I know that based on that, my operating expenses, that would be direct and indirect, should be no more than 50% of my, no, no more than 30% of my income. So it's pretty easy for me to say, okay, if I'm charging $250 per episode, making that number up as well, then my cost should be no more than $75 per episode if I were to take all of the direct and all of the indirect and spread them over every episode. My cost should be no more than that because these other parts, the profit, the owner's pay, and the taxes still have to come out of that. So that was something I'm I'm working on. It's not done yet. Yes. Are you making a spreadsheet? I am because that's how I roll. Well, And and I was actually thinking like, it's great to have these ideas and to use it for pricing. But I, I do actually use a spreadsheet right now to do my income allocation. So twice a month I go in and I say, these are the two accounts that receive income. How much do I have in each of them? And based on these allocations that I've decided on that, that don't necessarily align with profit first, but these are the allocations I've decided on, how much goes where? Because that's important. And for anybody who's a little bit confused right now, like Kareem is asking, he's not sure, like, sure he knows what <laughs> oh, we're yeah. talking about or what Brian's talking about. Profit first. Um, we did an episode on that. Go back and look at, um, was it last year? There's a whole episode on the profit first system. Um, and then if you Google it, there's a book as well. Episode 28. We okay. Yeah. So it's a way of thinking about your business, Kareem, where usually we think of expenses first. With profit first, you're thinking about the profit first. And then I, Andrea, I just want to go back a little bit because Andrea made a good point because we were talking about like charging by the minute, charging by the hour, that kind of thing. And this is, a good point. And she says, for me, a part of being a business owner is getting away from getting paid for my time and instead getting paid for the value I provide. Maybe it's controversial, but is the value a client receives for their 20-minute episode less than what a 60-minute client might receive? And I would say it is not any different. And I feel like there's two ways to you you have to look at this stuff simultaneously. And one is like spreadsheet. You gotta use your spreadsheet brain. And the other is you have to use your like, I don't know what you would call it, like your yeah. your value brain. I'd like to push on that a little bit because I agree with you that the value of a 20 minute episode for somebody that has a very strong business case built to, into their show, like that 20 minute episode may deliver a thousand times more for their business than somebody that's got a 60 minute episode of two drunk guys in a basement sharing one brain talking about nothing, right? So 
yes, there's absolutely a difference there. However, there's a tension between the value that I create for a client and what they would pay to have someone else do that for them. And I think that's where we have to be careful that we don't price ourselves out of the market thinking about value only. Yeah. So Andrea is saying she charges them um, the same, essentially. And so I guess I tend to look at it in the two different ways. In one way, like I've got to be mathy, unfortunately. In another way, I have to charge for the, not even the value. I'm charging you for a space in my schedule, right? Because I'm busy. I have no shortage of clients. I turn down opportunities. So you are essentially paying for me to work for you. I I mean, <laughs> I mean, I know that's the job, but it's like you're paying for that valuable slot in my schedule because if not, you're going to pay for somebody else's. It makes more sense in my head than it does when I say it out loud. I think the slot <laughs> in your schedule is absolutely right as far as how it fits into your your life, right? But I would argue that they're actually paying for access to you and your years of experience and all of the insight that you offer because they can pay somebody else way less for an hour of their time, but they will also get way, well, in most cases, they will get way less for that hour of their time. I can't say 100% of the time because I wouldn't know, but from the people I know, most of them are going to give you less for an hour of your time than Carrie does. Oh, thank you. And yes, I get an hour of her time fairly often, so you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) But then to go back to Molly... Um, what she says is that F that charge double. So like take all this stuff and calculate your number and then charge twice, charge double that. So, which I think covers your bases if you do that. And it's a useful right? strategy <laughs> if you have a tendency to negotiate against yourself Under, before you ever talk to the client. I'm guilty. Now we just went through the matrix real quick. That's all. Yeah. And then Kareem says this, oh, space. Oh, is he just agreeing with me? Hey, I like to put people that agree with you up there too. That's how we roll. Um, seeing how as, as much as people disagree with me, that's kind of refreshing. <laughs> Maybe the, the way that I handle my packages is a little bit different, I think. So I'd like to talk a tiny bit about that. So if we lay aside for a minute, like launching and consulting and that kind of stuff, I have more packages and offers than I should. I'll just state that right now. But I have an offer for people that have less than 20-minute episodes as long as it's only one person. And I call that a short single. I have a lower level of editing where I'll basically just do a visual edit for you and some basic audio repair and we call it done. And then I have detailed editing. And then I have also podcast management that I offer, which is some of the things that Daniel talked about but I also have a writer that I've brought in. Um, if you want to have video done or moving wave audio or something, some of those kinds of things, those are all things that we offer with that. But if we sit down and none of my packages work for you as a client, we will absolutely talk about, well, what specifically will meet your needs? And then I'll go back into that magic formula thing that I talked about that has all of the costs that I think should, like based on what market intel I have, this is what the rate for this should be, that kind of stuff. And then I'll come back to them and say, okay, based on what you've talked about, this is what we would need to do in order to make that happen. Because in the end, as best I can, I want to offer that any client exactly what they want and not leave them wanting with anything. Now, I realize that creates additional complexity and there's tension between complexity and chaos in a business. And I'm trying not to get to the chaos side, but 
to the best of my ability, I want to do that. And then what I like to do is set them up with monthly recurring billing on the beginning of the month. And then if there are any surcharges for late fees or overages or rush fees or like whatever that is, I just write it in the contract. These will be billed as a one-off due upon receipt. So we agree to an hour. You send me an hour and a half. Your first hour was covered. You're going to get an extra invoice for the other one. And that's not terribly difficult. Now for my white label clients, what I do is I just I invoice them twice a month, the beginning and the 15th. And I just start an invoice. And every time I complete an episode, I just drop the episode number in there and the price that was for that one based on the pricing that I have set up with my subcontracted or my my third-party clients. And then I just send them out twice a month. And that keeps it pretty clean for me. So hopefully that's helpful. I think we could go home now. Um. <laughs> I do want to emphasize something that you said. So you are in charge of your operation. If you're white labeling, obviously you have less control. But if you're finding your clients, you're dealing with them, you are in charge. So you can do whatever you want to do. And like some things like don't get tied down. So if you have these packages, it doesn't fit for a client, but you do want to work with them. Like you're not stuck in this, this box It's something that my uh, business coach hammered into, into me. You can make custom packages. You can tweak it, do what you need to do to make it work. For example, like I have a client that I'm way undercharging, but I love their show and I love what they're doing, the message they're sending. So I'm willing to work for less to be a part of what they're doing. So like you have complete control over what you're doing. I don't think we talk about the fact, you know, we're we're very like charge what you're worth, but we forget that there are circumstances where you charge money to get paid for your time for doing something that's really either important to you has like I'm thinking of Stevie Manns um particularly who is working with Ukrainian journalist turned soldier producing his podcast, uh, his daily podcast. It's not very long. It's like, you know, five minutes usually. But looking at what she's done for him, she's it looks like something she's put, even though she says it's quick to edit, she's put a good amount of time in it into it and and a lot of help. And that's an example of kind of using what you know to do things that make a difference, right? So there's that volunteerism, that's, that volunteerism, that service aspect that is totally okay. And you can do that um, without feeling bad for it, about bad for it, because I think that sometimes people do, because we can get very um, passionate about charging. Yeah. <laughs> charging people. And you're bringing down the price of the market and the industry. Exactly. But sometimes you just got to do what's right and you have to do what you're called to do and don't be apologetic for that. And um, I'll, I'll share the podcast. It's a really good podcast. I mean, it's really fascinating, especially if you've been keeping up with anything in the Ukraine. Um, but I, I think that's a great example of something you can do that like you can do whatever you want to do. Right. Or you can do whatever you feel called to do. If you want to work on an exciting project just because it's an exciting project and, you know, you're not making your usual rate, you know, go for it if you enjoy it. Like, don't get hung up on like all these rules because there's other ways to do good for the industry than just, you know, charging the maximum rate you possibly can. Not all payment is monetary. One thing I did want to touch about, touch on because I think somebody had asked, how do you know how difficult it is or how complex or how long it's going to take? And I think on some level, there's a certain amount of, if we offer packages, we have a general idea 
at least the three of us do, about how long it takes us to edit. Now, some people are worse, some people are better. If you're not sure, one of the things that Mike Wilkerson shared with me several weeks ago was early on, he just said, send me your files. I'll do you 15 minutes for free. And when I'm done, if you like what you hear, we'll talk about price. And what that gave him was an opportunity to wow them with his mad skills. But also, it gave him a really good picture of how poorly do these people speak and how much work is going to go into this. That is a thing. It is. And I will tell you, like, I've got a couple of clients who are unbelievably good when it comes to monologues. Not like they've written them out and they're reading them word for word, but they're really good with that. But stick them in front of an interview and they forget what they're talking about. And they, they like pre-answer their questions, like all this stuff. And so those are things to consider because I had one last week where typically this edit would have taken me two hours. It took me like four and a half, right? Because this person who's usually really well-spoken had an interview and the guest wasn't the bad one. It was the interviewer who was constantly second-guessing herself about what she was going to say. So just kind of be aware of those things. And maybe it feels like sometimes you're you know, overcharging or undercharging or whatever. If you have some fears about that, maybe just consider this is your price for this amount of studio time. This is how long it takes me to edit your episode. As an editor, I have an appetite to finish things faster, but if it goes over, there's going to be an additional studio charge. It's not something I'm doing. It's something I'm considering because I do have some of these clients who they're typically great. And then every once in a while, you get one that's just like, I don't have enough weeks for this one. I feel like everybody has become a bad speaker um, in the past couple of weeks. So. Oh, that's right. We were commiserating last week, weren't yes. we? Yes. <laughs> Uh, Andrea says she writes in a 60-day or four-episode trial period for both the client and her to decide if it's a good fit. And at that point, we lock in their rate, adjust the rate, or part ways, which that's a solid piece of advice if I ever heard one. And also, it's not like you're giving away 15 minutes for free, right? Because 15 minutes could be an hour or two hours of time, especially if they don't have a template or you've got to go like, find things and figure out how they put them together because you don't have any direction. It makes those growing pains that you have with new clients a little bit easier to navigate, I think. Because there have been times where I've been like, I wish they did not say yes to this job. And then you're, it's harder to have an out. And I think that's why like having term limits on whatever your agreement is is important. Because then you have an out being like, this rate ends here. So if over six months a year, scope creep or like their projects getting more and more complex, you have like a set time being like, hey, now it's time to reevaluate the price. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I've got, I've been wondering for the two of you, have you ever thought about just completely doing away with packages? Yes. And only doing <laughs> custom pricing? Yes. No, for real. For real. For oh, real. Okay. I um, I have a love-hate relationship i well mostly hate hate with packages because it's never right right no. every podcast I mean, is the, different the challenge and so i am thinking now just to going with here's what i can do but i might also be able to do more let's talk and see what you specifically need and even taking the prices off the website and i right now i'm starting that but like it's so variable Right. There's a difference. It's so much easier to work for somebody who's been podcasting for five years as opposed to, you know, they're on their third episode and realize they, they need somebody to help them. Right. And it's the same thing with even bigger projects like corporate 
projects or if you're working on um, a scripted podcast. Everybody works a little bit differently and has a different level of organization. And for something like a scripted podcast, you need good organization or else like I can't do my job. (laughs) It's like hurry up and wait for stuff. And that costs me money as a business owner because then I'm stuck going, where are the files? Where are the files? Where's this? Where's that? You know? So if I just have one flat rate, there are projects I'm going to lose money on, right? If I just have a package, like you get all this, well, then they come back and, and it's written into the contract. So then they come back, well, I didn't get this. I'm like, well, that's, you know, because you suck. Um, Sam, <laughs> I probably didn't take advantage of it. Right. So you lose money on one project and you make money on the other. And I don't want to lose money. So I'm thinking of I need to sit down, have a good think through or conversation and a good think through and kind of look in, you know, time to look to see what people are doing with their, you know, because sometimes people say they're like one thing and they're actually not. So just have a good little investigation on their background kind of thing. And, you know, the previous projects. And go from there to determine my pricing, which is a little bit longer and slower, but I think it's a little bit more advantageous because I'm not going to end up losing money in the end. Or if I do, it's not as much. So it's going to take longer each month or just at the beginning to determine? At the beginning. Okay. To like, it's going to be maybe a little bit more frustrating for a client who's like ready to pull the trigger. And it's going to be a little bit more work on my part to vet the potential client and make sure that they're not a nightmare. But I think in the end result will be better work and everybody being happier. So to answer your question, no, I am not thinking about it. Or at least I should say I wasn't thinking about it. But now I'm definitely going to have a conversation with Michelle to see if that's something that we want to think about. Because it's easy just to have like, here is my rate. Here's what you get. But, you know, not every client takes advantage of everything I offer. And it's kind of like a balancing. So some clients like don't take me as long. So like I make more per hour on them. Others, I make less per hour if you were to break it down. And so it's like, okay, well, I mean, it balances out between the two to make what I want to make. But like it doesn't have to. It can be. Oh, I just want to add to that. Like there are times when you like a client gets a package and they don't take advantage of everything. Until like six months later. And then, you know, so it just kind of throws everything off. Yeah. It's like technically that's something they're paying for. But now like I've got to adjust my schedule to accommodate. Exactly. And that too is a... Now I'm being a little... uh, Now I'm feeling a little something about that. Yeah. And maybe it's not the best reaction to be like... (laughs) Right. But I mean, it's a realistic reaction. Yeah. I think it is a realistic reaction. I'm actually torn about this. And the reason why is because my biggest client is a production company. And the reason they hired me was because when they went to my website, they saw this guy offers exactly the services we're looking for. The pricing is clear. We can have a conversation about what these things mean. However, my two highest per episode clients are not taking anything off the menu. They have custom packages built specifically for what they needed. And so I'm a little bit torn because on the one hand, I have the appetite to develop bespoke pricing for specific services. However, I don't want to communicate to people that 
you know, there's this velvet rope and I'm only available for people that are willing to have a conversation with me about pricing. Because the reality is I'm going to have a conversation anyway, but I'm willing to have a conversation with anybody that wants to talk to me about whether or not I'm, I could work on their show. But I feel like if I do both, I create a mixed message. But if I do only one, I turn away the other customer. I think there's a way you can do both. So like keep your website the way it is, like with what, however you got it. But you can also have like a blurb or something being like, if this package doesn't fit your needs, I do bespoke or custom packages. Hop on like a free consultation call to figure out what your needs are. And we can kind of, or something along those lines. I know we're talking about going over website or we know we, we did. already did websites. I missed All we one. did was homepage. Oh, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> There's more there to explore. Oh, okay, okay. So part two. Interesting. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's space to be able to offer both and communicate that clearly in your marketing. And that was my, and I do have actually, I think that blurb on my website where like, not don't see any something like, don't see what you need here. You know, let's talk. But I'm, I'm feeling more of an, in a velvet rope phase because my time right now is so limited. So I don't want just anybody coming in and being like, click a button and you, you all of a sudden I'm oh, no. starting to work for you or. <laughs> we have yeah. to talk first. <laughs> nope. Yeah. No, I know what I'm saying. And then some people do have that and that's fine. But I, I think that the people like my ideal customer needs to, or my ideal customer will get it. They'll get that it's an investment for both of us. And um, we need to have a conversation about what they specifically need and not just, not just like uh, they feel a little bit special, maybe that <laughs> they need a custom package, right? That there is no standard package that's going to fit them. Um, and, you know, that's not saying anything bad about and the way anybody else does things, but that's what works best for me. And I think that's what works best for the kind of clients that I have, which are very different from, you know, Daniel's clients or Brian's clients. I think that highlights an important point of, yes, all three of us and everybody watching, we're all podcast editors, but that doesn't mean that we're like the same. So like even the three of us are like have huge variants in our businesses. And so like who we are talking to, like the projects we work on are all so different. So like it's important not to get bogged down with just like, especially just what we say. Like we're offering advice, but like your specific needs are going to have us an own custom solution. I feel like this comes up all the time and we're like, maybe you're beating a dead horse, but that's why you have to know who your client is, right? Because there's a reason people come to me as opposed to Brian. It's the cat ears. Yeah, it's the cat ears. Like only cat ear people come to me, right? (laughs) I get elves and dwarves coming to me. You know? I get boring. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do get That's... spreadsheet people. <laughs> I, I do have one client that just absolutely loves going through the stats with me. It's great. <laughs> yeah, but also I think that's why I'm not worried about competing with any podcast editor because you have to be a unique person to want to work with me. And then the other, you know, I just want to add that the whole like velvet rope thing, The one of the reasons for that is because I do other projects besides podcast editing, right? And I want to make sure that I have time for that, you know, not to be like snobby. I just want to make sure I'm not a snob. I will work with anybody, any type of person, (laughs) but like not all at once. I think one other comment that I would just offer is if you're 
struggling with this, if you're thinking this kind of thing through, if you feel like you never stop wondering if you're doing it the right way, welcome to owning a business. Every business owner does this kind of thing or has a department of people who do this kind of thing. There are, you know, big companies do pricing elasticity studies. They do competitive analysis and research. Every business does this kind of thing. Most of the time, even freelancers do, even if we don't think of ourselves as a business. So it's good that you're thinking about this thing. It's good that you're constantly wondering if you're doing it the right way, because it's that attention that keeps you focused on the most important parts of keeping your business actually operating, not just doing work and not being a viable business. As Kareem said, it's like the Facebook relationship status. It's complicated. And it really is. And we didn't talk about this, but I'm going to throw it out there. I hope Carrie and Brian don't get mad. If you are struggling with your packaging and pricing and what to do and you want help with it, uh, head on over to our website, fill out the form, be a guest and come on the show and we can be a mastermind and work through kind of your specific issues. See you. I guess the best advice that we can offer. Yeah, we can do the the old group thing for you. And basically, this is what we did for each other in private. And we would love to be able to do it in a way where all editors can learn from it. And you can get a wider group of voices helping you out. So awesome. Are we doing pod decks? I mean, I I have loved this conversation, by the way. This has been the most fun I've had (laughs) all day, um, actually all week aside from watching the call of midway. So Daniel, would you like to pick a number between one and five? I have some pod decks questions up here. Let's go. Number, number two. two. Oh, crap. <laughs> I meant three. All right. Pod decks question <laughs> today. For those of you joining us live, you can certainly put your answers in the chat. What is the worst job that you've ever had? Oh, easy. I was 15 in high school working at Popeye's. I think that it's nationwide, but if you don't know, it's a fried chicken fast food restaurant. Um, the one I worked at wasn't particularly, it wasn't the best, not exactly sanitary. And my job, I go in after school and I was a spicer. So I take like a big, like 30 pound box of chicken, dump it into a sink, pour spices on it, mix it up and then put it back in the box. And that's all I did. Wow. And they give us big rubber gloves, but it didn't stop those little chicken bones. And like in the winter, when it got like cold and dry, my fingers would get like really dry and like crack and bleed. And it was awful making like, I think at the time it was 625 an hour. Yeah, that was my first like real job. Mine was, and I used to have nightmares about this, is Subway. I worked at Subway sandwich shops when I was like 15. And I smelled like onions and bread. <laughs> oh, yeah. The smell after working at fast food. <laughs> Those, I still cannot eat a Subway onion to this day. And if I do eat a Subway sub, I have to brush my teeth <laughs> immediately after. I just don't like, like, <laughs> like really. And, and the woman who owned the store, because it's franchised, was crazy. But she was the first difficult boss I worked for. And apparently it's a skill I have now. <laughs> So mine, oh, actually, let's go ahead and hit Andrea's first. Yeah, let's do Andrea's. Andrea Clunders is working for an independent documentary filmmaker out of his house where he gave me a phone and a computer and said, get people to come see my, do- get people to come see my documentary. You're smart. Figure it out. No. And Kareem says that he worked as a donation sales guy on the phone. It was a nightmare. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Like cold calling? Oh. For, oh. I, that's what I'm thinking. 
So my worst, I feel like I have to add a little bit of context. This was between my freshman and sophomore years of college. And at the time I was working three jobs. I was working full-time as a cook in a mental institution. I was working as a driver for Pizza Hut. And then I was also working for Service Master, which is a cleaning company. And nothing against that company. But that particular summer, there was a fire in a retirement home and there was a flood. And so I ended up cleaning up fire damage and flood damage on my days off from the mental institution. And yes, I actually had keys. It wasn't just, I wasn't an inmate or a patient rather. I I wasn't there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I got to sleep in my own house or so they told me, but like that was really rough because the fire damage was really pretty overwhelming. And then to go from that and a few days later to be cleaning up flood damage with all the the mud and the seepage and all of the things that come out of a river filled with fish when it floods. So that was not my favorite. <laughs> that sounds awful. All oh. right. You win. Yeah. You, not a fun count. Not a prize, but. Oh, the, the prize was years ago. You, you've earned it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Life experience. There you go. That's your prize. So thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, Kareem, Andrea, it's been, you know, everybody else in the audience, it's been absolutely a wonderful time and y'all have made my terrible week better. So thank you very much for that. I'm Carrie Caulfield. Eric, you can find me at Yaya Podcasting or at Carrie Eric on Instagram. I'm Daniel Abendroth. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at rothmedia.audio and don't bother looking me up on Instagram because there's nothing really worth seeing there. And I'm Brian Ensminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. And if you go there, the links to all of the social profiles are there. They may or may not be active. So just <laughs> enjoy. You should go on my Instagram. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Hers is I active. something fun today or yesterday. <laughs> Way better. Bye. Bye. See you next time. Uh, um, so, how much is that? Um, 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 um